0: We are in 1 Samuel 20 today. So if you remember where we left off, Saul was out to kill David. He was trying to kill him all different ways. David ran to the only person he knew that he could run to for safety, Samuel. Samuel's going to be old. Samuel is going to be not doing his yearly circuit anymore, but he is still a prophet. He's still the last of the judges. And David flees to Samuel and these guys come one group after another from Saul. Finally Saul comes and they all the Holy Spirit comes down on them and they prophesy and that whole thing happens. And what actually that served to do was it gave David a chance to escape. And David escaped, maybe at Samuel's suggestion, maybe not, we don't know. But he escaped and went back to visit Jonathan. And it's really awesome to just think this through. David is desperate, he's been anointed king, he's had all kinds of victories in battle. But nothing looks like he's going to be a king. The the king hates him. The prince, son of the king, Jonathan, loves him. But it's not up to Jonathan about who becomes king, because Jonathan's going to become king. Because he's the son of the king, right? So the first person David runs to is Samuel. Samuel is close to God and is anointed by God, has already anointed him to be king, and he knows he can find some guidance and some support from Samuel. The next person David goes to is Jonathan. And Jonathan is in the inner circle, and he is close to the king, and he is a part of the court, probably more than anybody, secondary to Saul. And this happened. In 1 Samuel 18... After David killed Goliath, David comes to Saul. You know, Saul calls him in. He's still carrying around Goliath's head. He's like, you're going to be a part of my court. I'm going to make you the commander of thousands. You're going to be right here fighting for me. Do you remember what Jonathan did? This is uh, 1 Samuel 18.3. Jonathan made a covenant with David. Because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So all of the things that show off that Jonathan is the prince. Remember, there's only two swords in all of Israel. The king has a sword, and the son of the king has a sword. He says, David, you carry this now. He has a robe, and that robe is kind of like um, the dudes with all the medals and all the badges. And you know, the guys in the military, they have all their stripes and all that. That's showing their authority, that's showing their rank. Jonathan's robe, it wasn't like he took his clothes off and said, Here, you can wear my clothes. They're in style. It was, you're going to show what rank you have. And I'm giving you my rank. I'm giving you my authority. It says that he made a covenant with him because he loved him as his own soul. So I have, you ready for this? I have 550 friends on Facebook which is pretty darn good for somebody that doesn't have any women friends on Facebook. I say that, I've got like four, like for business things where I had to be the admin of their page or whatever. 550 friends! I get all these friends suggestions, they pop up and they're like, this person should be your friend. You have 220 friends in common. You have 157 friends in common. You should be friends with this person. I get things and it says, you have no friends in common. You should be friends with this person. I'm like, what, what do I have anything in common? With? I don't know who this is. Out of my 550 Facebook friends, none of them are friends with this person. I don't even know why this person comes up in the, in the list. And all I have to do, you guys, you ready? All I have to do, I'll, I'll do it, you watch me, is that... And now I'm friends with them. And we're friends. And my 550 goes to 551. And if I do this, I might have like 700 friends. Just like that. Oh, I just got like 750. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? Isn't it ridiculous? my, My favorite summary of all that is my uncle, when my dad was still alive and... My uncle and my dad and, you know, all these guys are getting on Facebook. My uncle calls up my dad and he says, Tim, I'm your older brother and I love you. I'm not going to be your friend on Facebook. (laughs) Oh, shock. I want you to reframe your whole concept of what a friend is. Because here's Jonathan... Who sees how... Remember Jonathan, the guy, let's go kill those Philistines. Brings his armor bearer. If the Lord's with us, the Lord's with us. Kills all these guys. God is on our side. God is helping us. He sees David, who's about 10 years younger than him. Walk out there. David says, God's on my side. Kills Goliath. All of a sudden he's like, that's the kind of dude I want to be friends with. And so Jonathan seeks him out and says, I want to be friends with you. Please accept my friend request. And he makes a covenant with him and gives him his robe, his authority, his power, his place at the table. I want you to do this. I want you to be here with me. Nobody else has ever, I mean, nobody else does that for a lot of people, but nobody's ever done this for David. The closest thing to it is when Samuel Anointed David king is when Jonathan basically anointed David like a prince, like he's a brother in the family. And so David goes back to him. Also, just hang on that. It says Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. That Jonathan loved David. Gosh, I love this guy. I'm going to make a covenant with him. That I'm going to stick by him. Because the dude's only 17. He has no idea how this whole kingdom works. He has no idea how the Philistines work. We're going to have some rough times here. But I'm going to make a covenant with him to stick with him and to help him out. So David flees to him. He goes to Jonathan and he says, dude, what have I done? Why does your dad hate me so bad that he's trying to kill me? And this is kind of cool. After everything David has been through, he could disappear. He could just go on and like go be a shepherd again and nobody know where he is and lay low and not get killed. But there's something in him that wants to figure out what's wrong and part of me wonders if it's not that he wants to make it right. I mean, if for no other reason that Saul won't try to kill him anymore. But he's trying to figure out, what. what how can we resolve this? What? How can we solve this? And poor Jonathan, he's such a good son. He's like, oh, my dad's awesome. He doesn't want to kill you. What are you talking about? You're crazy. My dad thinks you're You're fantastic. And he's so glad you're in his court. He's totally deluded, right? He's completely confused. It's not true. So they have this interchange and they try to settle it. Uh, Jonathan gives this sort of vow language as surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, you know, I won't let anything happen to you. And then David comes back with a vow. Look, as surely as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is only one step between me and death. I am so close to dead. All your, all your dad has to do is say, execute that man and they will find me and they will kill me. At a word. So then Jonathan's like, okay, whatever you want, we will solve this. What do you want me to do? And David has this brilliant plan so every new moon, they would have a feast. They would have a festival. And you would go to your family house. It's kind of like having everybody over for lunch once a month. It's just like this big party, but it was uh, prescribed and set out by God in the law. That Every new moon, you have a big old feast, and you kind of have an extra Sabbath. Later on, they would change this that the Sabbath that was the closest to the new moon would be the one where they ate steak, and they'd have a bigger party. But at this point, it's whenever the new moon happens, you have a big party. Well, since you're not totally sure when the new moon, which night it's going to fall on, you got, you got a rough idea of what night it's going to fall. You know how, like now, we can look at star charts and whatnot, and we can see the new moon's going to happen at 9 a.m. on Thursday. They didn't have that. So they would make it a two-day, two-nights, big feast festival once a month. Can you imagine how fun that is? So David says, when that big old feast comes, I'm not going to show up. And when I don't show up, because your dad wants to kill me. And he knows that if I show up, he'll have an opportunity to kill me because I'll be there. But if I don't show up, he'll be mad that I'm not there because he can't kill me. So if he gets mad that I'm not there, like furious mad, then we'll know that he's trying to kill me. If he's just like, oh, David couldn't make it, okay, no big deal. And they move on, then we know we're safe. And Jonathan buys it. He's like, okay, let's do it. That's a good idea. You couldn't come to that feast if you were unclean. Um, if you were having a special sacrifice or a special holiday, you could go celebrate it somewhere else. It wasn't, it wasn't a mandatory like Passover or any of that stuff. So it would be okay for David to be gone. But then comes this next plan. How are we going to get word about whether he wants to kill you or not? Because just think about your spy movies, right? Think about all the TV shows that you've watched. If Saul knows Jonathan is on David's side, then all Saul has to do is follow Jonathan to get to David and then kill David. And so Jonathan and David work out this scheme that after he finds out, after a day or two, Jonathan's gonna go out and do target practice with his bow and arrow. And he's gonna go shooting. And he's gonna take a servant along with him. And David's gonna hide and watch Jonathan do his target practice. And if the when the kid goes out to get the arrows, if Jonathan shouts out to him, hey, hey, they're up here, they're close. They're, they're nearby, come closer then that means that's a signal for David that he can come close and that it's safe. And if he shouts out to the boy looking for the arrows, go far, far, go long, they're way out there. That's telling David to run and get away. Because Saul doesn't know, or Jonathan doesn't know that Saul might come with him to do that. He might not be able to get away and get out to do his archery alone. So they've got this built-in plan. And so the feast day comes, and there's the feast. And Saul is looking at this empty seat. And he's bringing attention to it. And let me skip down to it. New moon came. King sat. This is verse 25. The king sat in his seat, just like he always did, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite. Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything that day. Remember, if you're unclean, you can't come to the feast. Maybe David's unclean. When he comes tomorrow, though, because they have it for two nights, because you don't know when the new moon's going to happen exactly. Tomorrow night, I'm going to get him. The next night happens and, Dave, and Saul asks, why isn't the son of Jesse here? Why didn't he come here to eat yesterday or today? He's already starting to get angry. And Jonathan, like, just really think through. Jonathan is now realizing that his dad does hate with murderous hatred David, his best friend. Jonathan answered, David asked if he could go to Bethlehem for a sacrifice with his family, and I let him go, and that's why he's not here. Verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. Saul, remember the the evil spirit or the tempting spirit was on him sometimes, and he could give in to whatever, you know, he would give in to whatever worldly pleasure and his selfishness and his desire for power. And He's so angry and he realizes when Jonathan says, I told him he could go. This is just a few days after this whole big prophesying mess and the second spear was thrown. It's all still tense and still like, don't mention David at the dinner. And when Jonathan reveals that he let David go, basically for a month, Listen to what Saul says. You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. (laughs) He's like, that's your wife, Saul. (laughs) Don't I know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame? (sighs) He's like, you've brought shame on your whole family. Okay, why would he say that? He goes on and he yells a whole bunch of other stuff. Basically... Saul wants his power and his line and his authority to go on to his son. But as long as there's a threat to the throne, which is David, his son might not be the king. So this is all that whole... You know how sometimes you'll have a conversation with somebody and all of a sudden there's an explosion. And you're like, whoa, what did I say? What, what happened here? It's because that person has fear about what's next. This, the, I do this all, I will explode. And it's because I have fear about what I think is gonna happen next if we do this. If this happens, then that will happen. And oh my gosh, then we'll all get leprosy and the whole earth will melt down and there'll be a black hole. And you escalate in your imagination, right? that's where Saul is. Saul is living there. If you don't kill David, then you won't become king. My name won't be carried on. Ah, Rage monster. How's it end? He throws a spear at Jonathan to kill Jonathan. Think that through for a minute. He's afraid that Jonathan isn't going to become king. In his fear and rage, he throws a spear at Jonathan, which if that would have worked, then Jonathan wouldn't be the king. But it would be by his own fault. Jonathan flees and gets out of there. And it says, uh, verse 34, Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger, ate no food the second day of the month. He was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. His father has brought disgrace on himself himself. His father has brought disgrace on David. His father has brought disgrace on Jonathan. Just in his desire for his own way, for his own power. This is exactly the same thing that Saul's done the whole time. When Saul had his own idea, wait for me. Samuel says, wait for me and we'll do the sacrifice. Saul says, oh, people are getting less interested. I need to keep them interested. I'm going to go ahead and do the sacrifice. Lost the kingdom. Samuel said, kill everybody, kill all the Amalekites. Saul says, hey, you know what? We don't need to kill the good ones. Let's do it my way. The kingdom gets yanked away from him, just like that. So in the morning, Jonathan goes out to the field. He goes to meet David. He takes a little guy with him. If you guys have ever shot bows and arrows, like out where you're not supposed to, where it's a big field and it's not usually for that, you lose arrows like crazy. They're the hardest things to find. They go into the thatch of the grass and you can't even oh, just, yeah, I can relate to this. So he takes somebody out with him to go try and find the arrows and look for him. The other cool thing is if he was going to go out secretly and, you know, go and meet with somebody, he wouldn't take somebody along with him. So this is all so strategic. If, if Saul is keeping an eye on him, if Saul has his guards keeping an eye on him, And he goes out and he does his archery practice just like he always does with a gopher to go run after the arrows. It's nothing special, right? Nothing out of the ordinary. He says, okay, you're going to go run and find the arrows that I shoot. The boy ran. He shot the arrow behind him. When the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, isn't the arrow beyond you? He's just talking, right? He's totally just doing the signal now. Jonathan called after the boy, hurry, be quick, do not stay. When you read through this, like, okay, I watched too many movies, but feel the drama of this moment. Because Jonathan isn't shouting to that boy about go get the arrows. He's shouting to his covenanted best friend, who now has to go into exile and run for his life forever. I mean, as far as he knows, forever. This is the end of their friendship. And he says, go, be quick, do not stay. Do not stay doesn't make any sense at all to the arrow kid, right? Do not stay. So, you know, if this is a movie, the music would be loud, like the rain would be on his face and the wind. No, I don't know. But it would just be, it would be really dramatic. And it would be, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of hurt and anguish in this. Hurry, be quick, do not stay. The boy gets the arrows, comes back to his master, doesn't know anything about what's going on. Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and take these back to the city. And the boy leaves. Now this is the signal. They didn't know that they would have this moment, but they're all alone. And so David peeks out and Jonathan's there and he's like, dude, you are right. Jonathan says to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between you and me, between my offspring and your offspring forever. He rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. If Jonathan is going to keep to the uh, the desires of his dad, who is a desire for power and worldly power, and and doing all these things without God, he could have kept his bow and arrow, waited for David to step out from behind the rock, and taken him out. But Jonathan was not living for his kingdom. He was not living for his own quest for power, even though it was rightfully his according to the way the world worked. The world, the world in its ways, is going to hand Jonathan the kingdom of Israel. But Jonathan knew that that was not God's plan. He was there, it doesn't say it, but he was probably there when Samuel said, the kingdom has been torn out of your hands to Saul. He was probably there watching the king Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech. Amalekite. the Amalekite king not Elimelech Amalekite wow uh, when Samuel shocked him up into pieces in a rage and said this is what the king of Israel should have done but now you're no longer the king Jonathan knew it The other thing that's so awesome about this whole thing is how much this is a picture of the son of the king. And I'm talking about Jesus. That the son of the king did not have to pick David to to carry on. But he loved him. It says he loved him and he made a covenant with him back in chapter 18. Jesus loves you. He loves you like crazy. He loves you like he loves his own soul. Just the way Jonathan loved David. He gave up his own authority, his own kingdom. It says in Philippians chapter 2 that he didn't consider equality with God something to be attained, but he made himself nothing. How do you make yourself nothing? You take off your authority, right? Right? Superman takes off his cape, puts on his glasses. He becomes weak. He became weak. And he makes this a covenant, like we had communion. This is the blood of a new and everlasting covenant. This is uh, all through this, the word hesed is used, which is God's long-suffering love. His, his mercy His grace, all of those words are all from the word Hesed. And it's where somebody at their own expense does something for somebody else out of love, out of loving kindness. And so Jonathan does this for David, and it's all a picture of what Christ does for us. And now he's done it. And it has happened right here. So now from here on out, you can go to the Christian bookstore, and there's a you know, there's a section on fiction, and there's a section on Bible study, and there's a section on Christian living. Christian living is how to live as a Christian. How to live as someone for whom Christ died, how to live as someone for whom Christ is living in and, and working in. Watch David from here on out as he lives his life as someone who has been saved, as someone that, that someone else has stood in the way for him, stood in his place for him. Because he should have died. He should have ended up like Jonathan and been a has been king. But Jonathan showed him Hesed, showed him grace. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are holy and wonderful. And we praise you, Lord, that you died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. And that now you put your life in us in exchange. We praise you, Lord, that you love us and that you love to live out your life in us. And we can't wait to see what you do in us every day. We love you, Lord. Amen.